What up, what up, what up, what up? What's up, y'all? Peace. This is episode four of the Fire This Time podcast. You are here now with Sonny Teray. And Akita G. And uh, we just want to say again, welcome, welcome, welcome. And uh, thank you for being here with us again. We hope you liked the previous episodes. And uh, yeah, Aki, I mean, go on and welcome the people real quick, bro. We welcome to Fire This Time, fourth episode for the people. Um, you know, we back to get y'all the heat. You know what I'm saying? Keep y'all on fire. You know what I'm saying? Make sure you don't get iced down, even though you might need some ice in this heat right now that's jumping around the country. But um, today we're going to talk about a couple, or about maybe three subjects tonight, you know what I'm saying? The topics tonight, you know, to get into a little bit. But for right now, you know, we want to keep y'all and get y'all back informed and keep keep y'all informed with what's going on with the uh, Breonna Taylor situation, you know? So yeah, first things first, the murderers of Breonna Taylor are still free. Still unharmed and uh, still just frolicking, you know, around the country in relative freedom, right? And, frolicking. Uh, it's simple and plain. The police officers go out there and they respond with one of their own get killed. Black people see Beyonce Taylor as one of their own. So if black people chose to respond in that way. I guess, yeah, I guess Dave Chappelle laid that out last week. We mm-hmm. talked about that with 846. But, I mean, just real quick, just to, you know, stay on Breonna Taylor just a little bit, you know. If you're trying to get involved or help out, of course, share any information. Make sure you let your friend's family know what's going on. And uh, we just need to apply mass presser, pressure. No, blow the, that phone up. Right. At, at this point, you know, however we can support the Louisville community and fighting for justice. This this cannot stand. Yeah. This type of thing cannot stand. And, Taking uh, out one of our sisters. That's crazy, man. You know, they need to hand, they need somebody need to be handled for that, you know. It sometimes takes steps, and this United States government, the, the the legal system, make you have to take steps in that. But um, this should have never happened, and when it does happen, there should be swift justice. Right, it, it needs to be swift justice. You know, there needs to be a a completely renegotiated type of understanding between uh, Black Americans, New Africans, mm-hmm. and. Uh, this white America, the white, you know, this white society, you know what I'm saying? Because our, our destiny is not to be subordinate. Our destiny is not to be Americanized. Uh, this country in that sense shouldn't even exist. So we should definitely, you know, push our people to consider, you know, possibilities outside of this system. And um, and that will push us towards new tactics in defending our people, defending our communities from these type of racist attacks. True, indeed. You know, instead of you know looking for the same system oppressing us to uh, defend us against their attacks, you know, <laughs> yeah, maybe we can find a way to defend ourselves. That's I, a contradiction in itself. I'm saying, I'm saying. So, uh, man, what'd you do this past weekend, man? You do anything for Juneteenth? Uh, Juneteenth, you know, was a day of reflection for me. Um, I also, I ended up. Uh, having to go into the gig, but you know, it didn't bother me none. I did my reflections, you know, dealt with my shrine, and uh, that's how I spent it um, when I could, because I, you know, I, it was an event I wanted to attend, but it was in conflict with my work hours. So uh, I guess that may not be an issue if they make it a national holiday. Yeah, bro, I definitely had a. Uh you know, about a two, three weeks long fireworks show for my apartment. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. But um, shoot, they had my dog going crazy, man. 
Yeah. My dog yeah. was all running downstairs like crazy. And I, I couldn't figure out why I kept coming downstairs all the time. I'm like, what you just sitting down here crying for? Mm-hmm. And eventually I figured it out. There's this guy who come through the neighborhood and uh, through the hood, and he make fireworks. Mm. Them big, them big sounding fireworks. Mm-hmm. And the railroad tracks right next, you know, right behind the hood, they go on the railroad tracks and fire. Mm-hmm. So they sound like cannons. So every time one fire, he running and he running down. I mean, she running downstairs. So yeah, man, these things, man, it has been a fireworks show. Juneteenth. Well, you know, uh, you know, it, it's supposed to be a freedom day for us, and you know, so um, we supposed to, you know, it's supposed to be a moment of contemplation on that freedom and what that freedom meant for us, mm-hmm. and, and um, um, even now, what that freedom meant for us then, and what does it mean for us now? You know. Mm-hmm. Um, you're definitely right. Um, you know, we've had um, emancipation days. Different states and cities have had emancipation days on different days. Each You go to a lot of states uh, and even some counties, but a lot of states have official emancipation days that talks about the ending of slavery. And they are set on different days. Um, but Juneteenth is something that's important because especially down south, even in places like North Carolina, South Carolina, Georgia, we celebrate Juneteenth. And, you know, like you said, we wanted to wait. We wanted we we, we celebrate the day when all our people was free, mm-hmm. you know. But um, that was also sort of maybe a, as we seeing what's going on right now, mm-hmm. that might have been a false freedom. So the same stuff that we went through, you can see that transition. Our economic relationship to this United States has always been a slave and master relationship, mm-hmm. you know. And so, yes, we celebrate the accomplishments of our people fighting and struggling to that point to get our people free. And we really see that the, the white society always has a brutal amount of violent force at the ready to mm-hmm. enforce our place in this system. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? They'll have yeah. all the niceties. They'll have everything on the surface aesthetically that make it seem like we're accepted or that the tokens have a place and da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. But when we really try to upset the system, they're going to bring the big guns out. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And they're going to have their reasons and their media ready in the line to excuse whatever they got to to demobilize, to put down any type of rebellion. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That type of violent force is always at the ready. You know, uh, and, and they definitely get they and they get in that way. They get that way on the minor stuff. Yeah, like like I mean, we we put it to context. Our revolutionaries, and when I say our revolutionaries, I'm talking about the ones who fought in our revolution in the '60s. The minute they came out and said anything about black separation, doing our own thing, black or whatever, they brought down the hammer. Mm-hmm. And once they had that success on that too. You know, yeah. They brought down the hammer on that. That's not a tactic that's uncommon for them. I mean, mm-hmm. now the, the, let's kind of get into the next topic. So that they can, of course, we talked about they can bring down the hammer with violent force, but there's also the other force, a more insidious force of co-optation. Yeah, that operates. You know, what I'm saying from the yeah. system where the system seeks to co-op movements, co-op activists, co-op ideologies, co-op campaigns, co-op aesthetics. You know, mm-hmm. for their purposes to confuse. You know what I'm saying? To provide uh, easy release valves. Yeah. You know, for uh, that that could have been that could have built up for radical revolutionary exactly. type organizing, and to uh, just uh, generally just disrupt. Uh, you know, radical revolutionary type organizing. Yeah. So, um, yeah. I mean, 
What, um, what have you seen with Juneteenth as far as if you've see, you, have you seen any like co-optation efforts on Juneteenth? I mean, to be honest with you, the, the whole damn thing in, in, in that happened this weekend, not the holiday, not the celebration in itself. Mm-hmm. But, uh, yeah, it was a uh, it was a little shocking, you know, um, I've never seen this many black people in my entire life. Celebrate Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. Just last year, I was probably being cursed out and told and talked all types of shit to about what the hell is Juneteenth mm-hmm. and why would I celebrate that? Now everybody know what Juneteenth is. They got red and black and green flags out here. You know, not knocking it to my colors. I love RBG man to the fullest, but. Yeah, uh, and you see this. The uh, what do you think, Aki? What do you think about the idea of uh, a federal uh, Juneteenth holiday, or different states or cities? You know what I'm saying? Pushing, you know what I'm saying, for uh, you know uh, federally recognized uh, well, holiday for Juneteenth. Well, you got some states that's been pushed for that and got it mm-hmm. a long time ago mm-hmm. in the '60s, you know, um, and in the '70s. I've called more in the '70s, probably the late '60s, early '70s. But when you talk federal, I think with me, it's the way it came. So if this would have been a thing that the majority or large, at least 50 percent of the population of black people was celebrating and we were celebrating, we ain't going in to work. We calling off and we pretty much forced them to, hey, we might as well make this a federal holiday, mm-hmm. you know. I may feel a little different about it. You know, when you start dealing with Juneteenth, you you got to really look at what's going on in the communities. Right, right, right. So you get down in Georgia and Texas, and you in those communities where the, uh, the, the grassroots people are holding their celebrations. It's a beautiful event. Black people out there. You do not see many whites. Um, not to say they ain't invited, but you're not going to see many of them. Um, and Aki, how you feel about black people bringing their white partners to Juneteenth events? That's a good. Hey, that's a good. Aki, real quick though, let's take a break. You know what I'm saying, and come back and talk more <laughs> about co-optation. You know what I'm saying. Of course, we touch on it with Juneteenth, but let's talk about co-optation in a more historical context, and then bring it forward to the historic to the contemporary moment. And talk about how you know how is co-optation operating even outside of Juneteenth at the larger movement. How is co-optation operating right now? Definitely, we can do that. So we'll be back with y'all in a minute. Um, y'all be cool. Y'all relax, and um, we'll check back with you. Fire this time. Yes, sir. Peace. Black Lives Matter campaign zero. All these motherfuckers, man, they making millions of dollars. They ain't talking about no little. Some change. They ain't talking about no petty money. If it was petty shit, I still call them out, but it wouldn't be a big deal. Like these motherfuckers is eating cars, houses. You know what I mean? They driving around in nice, nice vehicles. All up the fact Mike Brown died. And this the long, and this the long term effects of it. That they willing to keep sending our kids out every time they die for a little money. What's gonna stop these white folks? These cops? You know, what's going to stop these people from killing these babies? What's going to stop them? What's going to stop them, my kid? I don't know what's going to... Well, no, I know what the hell going to stop them. A quick response 
or they get to acting right. So either you act right or we're going to start responding. So what, who you just heard was Darren Seals. Uh, he was an activist on the ground from day one in Ferguson, Missouri, after Mike Brown was killed. And uh, he's a brother that you don't hear about often, especially in the mainstream news. You don't hear about him often from the leaders of the Black Lives Matter movement. And it's because he was critical of the co-optation that Black Lives Matter uh, initiated within the local radical uh, Ferguson, Missouri movement around uh, Mike Brown's murder. So, um, yeah, I mean, what Darren Seals alleges... And, uh, you know, talks about in tweets and many other videos and many uh, uh, different, you know, aspects of his activism on the ground. He exposed them for uh, the co-optation, the fact that they led uh, to the demobilization of uh, what was going on there. And, uh, you know, you heard in the clip, he's talking about how people walking around rich, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying, from their book deals, from their clout chasing that they engaged in. They straight came up. Right. So, uh, you know, this idea that Black Lives Matter... Uh, as a movement, as an organization, national organization, is not aligned, was never aligned with the working class interest that emerged in that political moment and were instead chosen by the white media. This is not no narrative that you uh, hear often enough. What do you think, Aki? Well, you know, um, you got to, you know, you got to, you got to always remember that, you know, our people, you know, we sometimes can be susceptible to certain things. And, you know, co-optation is one of them. I mean, um, those local activists, um, even from some of the local activists that I spoke to from there, they all had that conversation and comment about what was going on in Ferguson at the time. Um, I never got a chance to speak with this brother, but I know he was very much vocal about what was going on. Um, It's like when the cameras come, it's sort of like that's when the co-optation comes. Yeah, and I mean, look, Darren Sears called them all out. He said, D-Ray, Netta, Black Lives Matter, the org, all they did in Ferguson was tweet about our work and collect money, mm. you know? And, you know, those people that are have an image or aesthetic or a message that's more palpable for white America are chosen by white America's media institutions. Mm. And, uh, you know, if we're not willing to accept that that happened to a large degree, a significant degree, coming out of Ferguson and Mike Brown's murder mm. with the development of Black Lives Matter movement, and then we're not we're not being critical enough and we're not going to be able to really uh, lead our people in this moment with a critical analysis uh, in 2020. You know, if we if we don't understand what happened, you know, in the emergency. Well, about us, I, I mean, if you look at even right now and the current uprising that's taking place right now in the streets all over the country, you know, you can sort of look at a, a co-optation of Black Lives Matter in that, you know. Um, all of those were started independently in different places. And I and, and I say this, in that argument, I mean, in that, I won't even say it's a co-optation by them. But it's like, all of a sudden now, everybody's calling it the Black Lives Matter protest. Mm-hmm. You know, these are Black Lives Matter protests. And I'm like, no, nah, these are individual protests that... It's coming from a common theme that we all got. How has it been coined Black Lives Matter? I think some people found a currency. Some people found uh, some personal benefit in uh, branding the, the the movement or going going along with the, that moment being branded Black Lives Matter. 
Mm-hmm. And um, I remember having some early protests, you know what I'm saying, uh, that were black power in nature, you know what I'm saying? And uh, the media uh, called them Black Lives Matter protests, and mm-hmm. we resisted them being labeled that. And there were some Black Lives Matter activists, black folk in this area that uh, came out against us and resisting, uh, uh, you know, for us resisting our actions being called Black Lives Matter. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but that was a label placed on it by the white media. Mm-hmm. We experienced it here yeah. during that time period, and uh, you know, and we've and we seen the white and the black interest in these things being called Black Lives Matter. And I say this: it's nothing against um, the, if the they, class interest. There, we yeah. got to talk about the class interest. That too, but it's nothing against uh, Black Lives Matter uh, or holding rallies and protests. More power to them. Hold your rallies and your protests, but did. I'm looking at the fact of that all of those other rallies and protests and things that was popping off in those cities based in, 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 that came with the riots, that wasn't Black Lives Matter. Y'all don't get into that. Right. You know what I'm saying? Y'all ain't about that life. That's that's grassroots. But they show up afterwards and talk about it and explain it. There you go. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, you know, um, I wish that the uh, local activists that's actually there, not the ones who came in, um, would be would would get that would get that shine and would get um listened to more because that's where you can find out more of the problem directly there on the ground. Mm-hmm. Definitely, know? definitely. So let, let's take it back a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Let's take it back before we go forward. You know, let's talk about historically some of the co-optation that we witnessed in previous movements. So, uh, I mean, we can start with the civil rights movement, you know, and we think about the goals of uh, some organizations like uh, SCLC, Dr. King and and his clique. I should say clique, but and, you know, the people around him. Mm -hmm. Uh, We can think about the other prominent civil rights organizations. And, you know, Dr. King, for instance, he was pushing for a redistribution of wealth at the end of his life. True. And end of militarism. Yep. Uh, you know, and um, into poverty in this country, and, you know, uh, an assault against materialism. You know, what I'm saying these are the things that he was pushing for at the end of his life. Um, and we have to understand that, you know, after his death, in the in the events afterwards, that there was a degree of a co-optation, you know, mm-hmm. by the black middle class, by the black uh, uh, chosen leadership class, of course, chosen by white society. To lead the black people back back into complacency, you know, mm-hmm. what I'm saying to accept liberal ref- liberal reforms instead of pushing, uh, renewing our push for national liberation and self determination. Um, so, I mean, any comment on that? Just, you know, just think about the civil rights movement. You know, being co opted. Uh, just think about the civil rights movement. It was more like that the black middle class and the elites were co opted. Mm-hmm. They were co opted. You know what I'm saying? Um, you had the alternative to Martin Luther King, which was, you know, black nationalism, revolutionary black nationalism, um, and other groups like the Nation of Islam and um, other um, revolutionary groups that was out there. And other more moderate uh, black political, political groups, too. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, even more moderate ones. Right. But the white America feared that, that, that black power. Mm-hmm. So... In order to quell down the people who were in the the the, because black power was only a small segment Mm -hmm. of the black community, but to keep from black power getting more recruits and they kept getting more people in, 
If you start bringing more people in, you got to remember, black folks, the same the same financing of uh, black people, when we were doing those community programs and stuff, we got at that money the same way that the white folks was, I mean, uh, the people in the civil rights was getting it. They was using black middle class people. Mm-hmm. They were financing that. So, you know what I'm saying, as, as, as that time went on and stuff like that, they got the civil rights bill, Martin Luther King come, all of those things happened. They come up with black capitalism. Mm-hmm. Or I should say, Nick Nixon sold the middle class and the elites black capitalism. And this this brings us to talk about black power, because of course black power is the black working class response to these liberal reforms and you know them being insufficient. So of course black people mm-hmm. uh, in the late sixties, seven early seventies, they're calling for black power, black self determination, mm-hmm. and even that aesthetic, even that uh, rhetoric, black power. It's co-opted by Nixon and others, even yep. e- even some conservative black folk, for the purposes of black capitalism. Because so it was the it was the it was the illusion of power that they actually gave you. Exactly, exactly. So yeah. this is a good conversation to consider the idea that black power can be co-opted and, and appropriated by multiple groups. Of course, it was created by the revolutionary nationalists, yeah. right? It was that, That's who created the idea of black power. Mm-hmm. But it was co-opted by black capitalists. It was co-opted even sometimes by black moderates, yeah. you know what I'm saying, in, in, in different ways. Black uh, militant liberals, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. But in, and in the same sense, Black Lives Matter uh, as, a, as a brand uh was you can even say maybe formed a co-op the movement you know what i'm saying and 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 mm-hmm. you can you can kind of see how uh these terms like a black power black lives matter they hold weight they hold rhetorical weight mm-hmm. they hold cultural weight you know what i'm saying so if, if white media is able to control the term or 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 define the term you know that's why we have the white media now saying uh, why are these violent protests not like Black Li- not like Black Lives Matter? Exactly. You know what I'm saying. And now, and now the the white media can can seek to split off support. Uh, you know what I'm saying. Split the movement in a sense. You know what I'm saying. And and uh, well, see, black. If you if you tell a, if you tell somebody um, a modern uh, most supporters of and not most supporters, but if you say well Black Lives Matter don't support Black Power, they would say no Black Black Lives Matter support Black Power. And I say, well, you know, black power is big on our own institutions, mm-hmm. you know. And that means our own institutions with solely membership from our own people mm-hmm. in those institutions. When I look at everything y'all do, it look like, a, um, you know, a multicultural rally. I ain't knocking rallies like that. Knocking allies. I ain't knocking allies at all. But, uh. Y'all don't talk the same rhetoric of black power that, you know, our ancestors and that we continue to talk about, which is the self-determinative black power that comes from possessing some form of land mm-hmm. and self-governance. And this is the importance of studying our history and guarding against the snakes, the charlatans that will co-op these movements and lead them away from their radical revolutionary, you know, at, mm-hmm. you know real utility. And I mean, look, I encourage everybody right now listening, get your phones out or, pull, you know, pull up in your laptop and Google Black Lives Matter hmm. Ford Foundation. Black Lives, Google Black Lives Matter Ford Foundation, hmm. because we have to understand that, you know, what is one of the things that's co-opting activists or organizations away from really digging into the grassroots community and representing the working class black interests and is where they getting their money from exactly 
where they get you got to follow the money follow the money so we know black lives matter moving for black lives you know and this is a coalition definitely headed and directed in many ways it seems by black lives matter we know that this uh group received a hundred million dollars in white philanthropist money right so when mm. we when we think about how a movement is co-opted, and I, I believe this is more than in any amount any civil rights or black power organization got. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? A hundred million. I don't I don't remember SELC, SNCC, anybody else, even NAACP ever getting a hundred mil. You know what I'm saying? Mm. So we talk about white liberals buying a movement. You know what I'm saying? Buying it. Buying it outright. You know what I'm saying? So of course, even we talk about the leaders of Black Lives Matter, the actual organization. You know. Uh, in the in the years after uh, the height of the Black Lives Matter yeah. movement or moment, they move closer to liberal reforms and yeah. uh, Democratic Party type mm-hmm. politics. So they move away from the movement. They, they they've always uh, leaned away from rad- revolutionary grassroots organizing on a national yeah. level. They've never been invested into Black national politics in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so um, you know, and, and the influence of white money is inseparable from that conversation. Yeah. So, yeah. so yeah. whoever you know, what I'm saying, if you if if your money is coming from, you know, your oppressor, what good can you do with it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now there may be some things you can do. You know, maybe some things you can open up some stuff in the hood. You know, what I'm saying, provide some maybe temporary services or whatever for the people. I'm not saying you can't, but it's gonna let me know how far you can go. You know. It's the institutions that's built up independently by us that we can sustain ourselves and guarantee that they'll be here even when he doesn't support them. And what we have is black liberals that wear this revolutionary radical uh, aesthetic, you know what I'm saying, or include this aesthetic in their rhetoric, right? Mm -hmm. And they try to represent our radical politics and lead us straight to the type of liberal reforms or liberal type political Mm -hmm. relationships that lead us nowhere. With that but, money. You know, ultimately, the people that led these movements, they're not invested into uh, a, a black community with self-determination, mm-hmm. right? They want black people to integrate and assimilate into the system because in their token positions, they feel like, uh, you know, why can't all black people be in this position? Well, all, all black people don't want to be. Well, that's the current. That's and, the of ca- course, we know it, that can't happen. And, mm-hmm. you know, th- th- those places are only for tokens. We know the majority of black people will never be able to assimilate into this uh, society successfully. I mean, well, that's the thing with today's movement right now and the current uprising, you know. It's not just necessarily a Black Lives Matter thing. This is a black people thing right here. We got to start asking ourselves, what do we want out of this? Mm-hmm. What do we really want? Uh, if we saying we want freedom, what, do, what is this freedom that we want? If we saying we want liberation, what is this liberation that we want? You know, um... And that go for the people who may be revolutionary nationalists, non-revolutionary nationalists. We got to figure out something, and so we got to um, get we got to get away from the confusing language, the confusing yeah. rhetoric. Yeah. If you have leaders that are confusing you when they talk to you, that's a problem. Mm-hmm. If the so-called black political leaders are trying to obscure or have a, a an unclear conversation around should we integrate or mm-hmm. should we separate. Yeah, a black political leader with any clout, with any true grassroots connection, is going to answer those questions clearly. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, and and then also contextualize reformism within that. Yeah, uh, for the people. You know what I'm saying? And give them a program. You know, with both long term goals and missions, and and short term and, and strategies and tactics. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, but you know, 
I, and I, I think the program that really is going to ignite something within black America in this moment is going to be that program for self-determination, a program towards, you know, us taking control of the political reins of our communities, our political mm-hmm. destinies, our economic destinies need to be in black hands, not white hands with black token influence. There you go. You know, counteracting the bullshit that goes on in our everyday political struggle. I mean, um, you know, it's a beautiful thing to see our people out here in these streets. It's a beautiful thing to see our people keeping up the protests. We just got to remember that we can't let our movement um, be co-opted. This ain't, like, this is a continuation of a long-lasting struggle, you know. We still talking about this shit in 2020. You know what I'm saying? We've been talking this we've been talking this talk since 1865 and before. You know, so it's like okay, you didn't try your longest and your damnness to try to be a part of this. Mm-hmm. At one point in time you said, "Well, listen, here, just give me fair and equal and I and leave me alone and I don't want to come around you." We do our own thing. We try to do that giant like that. Then people Decided to say, well, maybe if we integrate with them and, you know, say we're going to force ourselves, you're going to have to take us in your restaurants mm. and your schools mm. and shit like that. That ain't work because they ain't like that. Now, you know what I'm saying? You and I think that also leads to some type of uh, psychosis within us. You yeah. know what I'm saying? Like, if we're constantly seeking wide acceptance and they're never giving it to us, what's that teaching our children? That's what makes the Juneteenth thing so ironic. Now y'all talking about making a national holiday because you see thousands of people marching in the streets and and, and damn dear, yeah, probably about 50% of them look white Hmm. or white. Hmm. Now you decide to make it a national holiday and shit like that? Come on, man. You know what I'm saying? And and to be honest with you, that's a tactic to keep us calm down. Look, ain't ain't nothing for this country to celebrate about Juneteenth. Ain't nothing for this country, this federal government... This white society, white America, there's nothing for you to celebrate when it comes to Juneteenth. Mm-hmm. All your your hands are still bloody yeah. from the work undone. Work undone. You know, co- co-op, the co-optation of the movement is really a peaceable way for them to wage war on us. It's their protracted war against us. Mm-hmm. And so it's a, it's like a it's a it, it look to me it looks like a, a just a method and how they uh do warfare they they co they we seen how they, they i mean we got to look at the many different ways and how they co-opt the movement how they co-opt organizations mm-hmm. you got agents you know financial you know you got various different means of how people come in and, and co-opt an organization you know um our movement was getting co-opted back in booker t washington was getting Co-opted. There was federal agents in Booker T. Washington school when he was living. There were federal agents in the Garvey movement. That's in like 1919, 1920, 1921, you know. And then probably any other movement that came after that all the way down to the time of the civil rights movements when they was infiltrating Martin Luther King's organization. So we got to remember that a lot of times the co-optation come in blackface. We just know what's behind the face. Oh, for sure. And, you know, I, I really think about maybe co-optation isn't the right word here, but it is a sense of co-optation where, you know, because of identity politics now in this moment, 
we're willing to overlook some certain people's actual politics if their identity kind of fits our agenda and what we're trying to promote about the melting pot of diversity or the politics of recognition within this country. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Like, And I think about Baird Rustin. You know what I'm saying? Now, yeah. Baird Rustin is a character who, of course, was involved in some degree of class or, or uh, uh, class-based anti-racist struggle, mm-hmm. right, in, throughout his life. But um, his ties, even, uh, you know, before Dr. King's assassination and afterwards to the military-industrial complex, you know, as somebody who supported uh, um, apartheid, you know, Amer- and American imperialism. That's Baird mm-hmm. Rustin's politics right there. Mm. You know what I'm saying? The, the type of, and uh, in, in I feel like his aesthetic, Baird Rustin's aesthetic as a black queer man, you know what I'm saying, can come to co-opt some of a- what is actually black radical politics, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, that, and that's based on the agenda of some contemporary uh, intellectuals and activists. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? That are seeking more of a uh, negotiated settlement, you know what I'm saying, based on, on identity, you know what I'm mm-hmm. saying, with uh, the white power structure instead of a liberation, you know what yeah. I'm saying, instead of an Afrocentric liberation, you know what I'm saying, a new African liberation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and self-determination from this uh, government, you know what I'm saying? Like, uh, you don't, yeah, that's what that's what I'm seeing, I, how, how it goes. I mean, you know, um, I mean— can't get away from this conversation talking about co-optation without talking about institutions and technology of course Mm -hmm. we know that our lack of media institutions post-integration has led to our uh, hindered ability to choose our own leaders and we also know that technology is leading to the individualization of this world you know Mm -hmm. Uh, i know baba bakungu from mxgm he talks about how um, in a sense, you know, the, this digital world is, uh, you know, of course, taking down some of the borders that uh, are socially constructed. But it's also making people lose uh, a tie to their national identity, their cultural identity. Cultural identity and, and, and family. And instead they're ingesting this homogenized and thus Western and white type of a perspective or Americanization or Westernization in place of, you know, uh, a cultural rootedness, you know what I'm saying, that could actually, you know, keep them rooted both emotionally, socially, you know what I'm saying, yeah. and culturally, well, see, but also politically, economically, militarily, you know, for self-determination. Well, well as, as much as the Internet opens up things to people, it has its drawbacks. And one of the things is over- information overload. Mm-hmm. And so um, if a person is projecting into the future, right, and the technology that's going to come in the future and the economy that's going to come in the future, speaking of a global economy, mm-hmm. you know, that we sort of already in, but not really in, in it. We ain't at the pinnacle of it. They want that. See, if people... And, and matter of fact, uh, Amilcar Cabal talked about that. Mm. How they the, the the colonizer comes in, and he attacks a people's culture, and he attacks it because he knows as long as those people realize that they are something different, mm-hmm. and that they were something before he came, mm-hmm. he'll never be able to fully enslave. Them. Right. He'll never be able to fully take over like he wanted to. Right. And so, 
in this world of a super rich capitalist elite, you know, type thing, that's the plan of them. And that, or that's something that can work towards the benefit of that. They want to break down those barriers. Those barriers go as deep as breaking down families and things of that such nature. Mm-hmm. I know people who will sit on their joint and chit-chat with everybody online all day but won't go have a conversation with their mother. Mm-hmm. So, you know, those are things that's meant to make us individualists. Oh, and, and we Take see, out of the collective group. And we, we see how our pressures use social movements to really push this, these ideas, too. What, what, what erupted from the Black Lives Matter movement? Broadly speaking, the idea that we are not our ancestors. This mm-hmm. is not your grandfather's civil rights movement. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? This separation from our traditions, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. This idea that as individuals, you know what I'm saying, we can find our way and just enforce, you know, our position for a seat at this table. But a seat at this white American table is inseparable from our collective subordination. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? We can't accept the uh, tokenization of our struggle. Yeah. You know? So, uh, Ikea, why don't we, uh, we're going to wrap up this segment, you know what I'm saying, and come back around. Let's plan and plot what we want to talk about to end off things. But, uh, yeah, uh, any any last words on this you want to say? No, no last words on it. Just make sure y'all come back for the, the, the second round. My bro came with the Cabral quote. I was like, damn, bro, you got to record. All right, y'all. Uh, welcome back to episode four of Fire This Time podcast. You here with Sunny Ture and Akid J, and we got special guests and fellow MXGM member Alex with us right now. Say what up, Alex? What's up, y'all? Free the land. Free the land. Free the land. So uh, we brought Alex on board. You know what I'm saying? Uh, since we're gonna venture into into deep waters, you know what I'm saying? As two black men. Discussing, uh, I, I, I guess, the tension around the J. Cole and No Name uh, diss tracks. You know what I'm saying? We, we're going to invite another black man on to <laughs> talk about it with us. Uh, but uh, it is what it is. It is what it is. So, uh, Alex, you know what I'm saying? Uh, let's just start here. You know, Alex, what did you think initially when you first heard the, uh, the J. Cole track, uh, Snow on the Bluff? Initially? Yeah. I thought it was a typical J. Cole track, um, you know, minimal uh, instrumentation, a humble perspective, but one that's still very deeply caring about other people, but still a little bit critical. When I dig into it politically, I think it's very concerning, you know, how he's speaking on things he isn't aware of. But I do appreciate that he is, you know, being very clear that he doesn't see himself as a leader, but he understands he has that place and he is acknowledging he needs to do more. So I think there's a few different ways to look at um, him when I think of what he's commenting on, when I think of, you know, just social media, when I think of how many people use it as a way to vent and project their insecurities on others in a very demeaning, harmful way, as opposed to sincerely engaging. You know, I appreciate his words on that. Um, I think uh, a lot of people, a lot of people fit the bill um, of what he's talking about. I understand, you know, uh, the controversy around uh, singling out black women or what I'm assuming is black women. But I do believe it applies to men and women. Um, When I first heard it, again, just first reactions, I didn't think of no name at all. Anyone who's on Twitter, 
You know, there's thousands of people he could be talking about, again, men and women. Hey, and I, I was just to cut in, I, I really feel what you're saying because how I first interacted with it was definitely like, he's kind of making like a class-based argument. Like this person he's talking right. to had the privilege, you know what I'm saying, to have space in their right. life to learn certain concepts that, you know, being black in America don't allow everybody that space, you know what I'm saying, that that intellectual space, you know what I'm saying, to explore that uh, at the same time or, or when when maybe we would want them to, you know what I'm saying, from our, you know, elitist position. And, you know, he's critiquing, yeah. he's, and J. Cole's kind of, criti- he is critiquing that, you know what I'm saying? And I thought it was a, a sincere defense of, you know what I'm saying, you know, many segments of the black working class, you know what I'm saying, in terms of, uh, you know, let's be patient with our people. You know what I'm saying? We need, to, we need to accept our people with open arms, loving arms into the movement and take care of them and nurture them in their growth. And uh, we need to be very receptive and, uh, you know, with the information, you know what I'm saying? We need to, um, you know, nurture that growth, you know, through right. our relationships and through institutions. And, um, you know, J. Cole didn't speak to that, you know, the institution part, of course, but on the personal level, you know, he spoke to it beautifully, I thought. Beautifully. Aki, jump in here, bro. What you thinking? Well, I sort of feel the same way. Um, When I first heard the song, I thought it was more symbolic. I thought he was speaking the truth and he was speaking it in a symbolic way. And, um, you know, him using the term her was more of an artistic manner, you know. Um, in the song, um, I didn't find out later on that it was about, or people were assuming that it was about no name. Um, I seen the class argument in it. I, I, I seen all of those things in it. I seen the care. I seen the compassion. I mean, I thought the track was hot. He he actually was bearing witness that he don't know everything. That's not um, something you see very often in, in social media or in the world these days. Yeah, so, you know, he he, he 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 gave a truthful truth, really, of himself. In our community. It wasn't yeah. just a, a truthful truth of, of himself. It was a, I, I think it was a pretty honest look at our community. because yeah, a lot of us didn't know. You know what I'm saying? Right. And, and definitely my experience in activism and organizing, I've definitely... Uh, you know, had to check myself definitely early on and still today, as we all do. And I've definitely witnessed it a lot as well in other organizers, especially those that only get involved, uh, you know, in, you know, moments of crises or moments of upheaval. upheaval. Um, you know, so you, you, yeah, you see a lot of that type of elitism uh, from, you know, especially the college educated crowd, you know, uh, mm-hmm. you know, my experience the college educated crowd that found out they were black in college. Right. Right. And yeah. And I definitely see, you know, I, right. I definitely seen a class division there. What do y'all think? 100%. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, a lot of the reaction, uh, goes back to the old adage of hit dog will holler. Mm-hmm. So I'm very curious how many people projecting no name on this song are actually projecting themselves. No name is a young black woman from Chicago. She, you know, last year, just last year was talking about how capitalism wasn't evil, how, you know, it can be prosperous. And again, I'm not holier than thou. And so when I think of uh, just how people react to it, based on class i also think it's based on class and their level of political engagement Mm -hmm. because if you've organized with people before real life flesh and blood people your family members your friends your neighbors 
you aren't talking to them the way you are talking to people on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Facts. Uh, yeah, you definitely see that. You definitely see the, the folk that ain't really grew up in no black community or grew up around a lot of black folk or black institutions, you know what I'm saying? They definitely are talking to uh right. you know the the black people that are making up in their mind through social media yeah. you know what i'm saying because you're right i mean it's all a whole bunch of caricatures and all this stuff you know what i'm saying a whole bunch of right. you know false binaries created on twitter to you know rate things and it, it, you know we we know that rat race you know what i'm saying and uh i can't help but you know i i'm just so curious why did no name respond to j cole through song i don't get it i don't get why you would you would just step out there and just and just fulfill what, what J. Cole laid out in a lot of ways. You know what I'm saying? Like, uh, and it, it, that was kind of funny to me. You know what I'm saying? I mean, like, what, what do y'all think about the song? You know what I'm saying? What do y'all? Let's, wait, wait, wait. Before we even get to No Name song, I think it's uh, important to talk about J. Cole's response to people's response on Twitter. So I have the tweets in front of me. Oh, right, yeah, go it's ahead. A go ahead. Thread. Um, the third tweet in the thread says straight up, quote, some assume to know who the song is about. That's fine with me. It's not my job to tell anybody what to think or feel about the work. As that's all conversation and criticism. End quote. Now, this is a man who has directly and indirectly talked about Drake, Wale, Kanye West on the record. How many times has he spoken through Twitter, through other means about these men? I mean, so I'm very curious, you know, is it actually about no name? It's not about no name. It's not about no name. And exactly. A, and right. a, as an artist, you know what I'm saying, like, we use symbolism, you know what I'm saying, like, J. Cole tapped into some of the threads going on in our community, you know what I'm saying? And the fact that he gendered the character he was talking about as a woman, like, people are, like, that's the problem people have. That's that that's right. the problem, you know what I'm saying? And, of course, no name, it was a convenient fit into that narrative but uh right. they have a problem with a black man uh you know trying to give advice politically and socially to a black woman or a black feminine character right that you know i, I think yeah. at, at the core of it that's the problem from a lot of these anti-black misandrists that we know <laughs> operate from this mainstream black feminist or mainstream intersectional uh viewpoint you know that we 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 talk about that in previous episodes we assume that we we assume that you're talking about no name, so we're going to attack you. Right, right. Or, right. you know, like, like Alex said, you know, they project themselves on the no name. And, mm-hmm. they, it, you know, it, it, we, we see the petty stuff. We see the petty shit. You know what I'm saying? Just call it what right. it is. So the, the fact that he had, that, that a, the fact that a black man might have some smoke in, you know, in, in the political sense or social sense, you know what I'm saying? Right. For a black woman is just uh, detestable or just, you know, something that. A lot of these people reject, man, and they look for. Yeah, they look. They look for stuff to to, to, to start up mm. co-optation. Mm. That's what we talked about yeah. this episode. Yeah, co-optation. So, um, are we are we ready, Alex? We ready to, to talk about uh, No Name Song? What'd you think about it? It was it was only it was a short one, right? It was a minute nine, minute yeah, seven, minute nine seconds. Um, it was a decent minute nine seconds. Um, again, just thinking about musically, not even getting into politics yet. It was a decent song. Um, it's, it's, you know, I thought it was a snippet. I thought more would come later, but that looks like it's it. Um, and the way it came on, again, you know, it's just like it was released on June 18th. I remember that. Had a nice but on Spotify, beat. it says the. Uh, I think Madlib made the beat. 
Madeline right. made the beat. I think Madeline made the beat. Oh shit, that was a gangster beat right there. Yeah, and so I'm sh- here. We are. I found them. Um, so about the song, she says, "I've been thinking about. I've been thinking a lot about it, and I am not proud of myself for responding with song 33. I tried to use it as a moment to draw attention attention back to the issues I care about, but why I didn't? But I didn't have to respond." My ego got the best of me. I apologize for any further distractions this caused. Madlib killed that beat, and I see there's a lot of people that resonate with the words, so I'm leaving it up. But I'll be donating my portion of the song's earnings to various mutual aid funds, Black Radical Unity. So I appreciate that, you know. um, I, I think she's talking about a lot. Politically, I would say... She does make good points. What's the point of celebrities in this moment? Dave True. Chappelle talked about that. Um, I think we've all been thinking about that with different, you know, wacky promotional efforts celebrities have been making, putting on Zoom concerts in their closet, things like that. But at the same time, you know, I'm just not, I don't feel it was substantial enough to make a statement. Um. Yeah. 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 I, I feel like it was engaged in that competitive victimhood, right? Where you know right. it it was engaged in a type of politics where to avoid accountability that was class based, that was real. They engaged in this type of um, you know, uh, you know, J. J. Cole saying what he said was some type of distraction from uh, black women's vulnerability to police brutality or to murder. Um and. Right. Yeah, I, I, yeah. I just don't. I just don't follow the logic. I actually don't think the logic is is, is there, uh, really. When, when we think about um, you know the issue of black women getting killed by the police, we talk about this in previous episodes that the numbers right now are you know over a hundred to one this year, yeah. black men to black women getting killed. And I mean, Breonna Taylor. We know that her name is ringing out nationwide. So there there is the right. attention there. And uh, Tony McDade is having uh, uh, an elevated level of support compared to the other, um, uh, you know, men killed in that area. Uh, so, right. you know, th- th- that complicates the narrative of, uh, you know, some black male patriarchy when it comes to the attention we get to our murder. Um, you 100%. Know, so and I think just to interject right here, when we're talking about comparing J. Cole and No Name, No Name is my age, about 27, 28 years old. And this song she's talking about, but niggas in the back quiet as a church mouse. Base, basement studio when do you calls to get the verse out. I guess the ego hurt now. It's time to go to work while look at them go. Now. Oh, you probably got to get in the J. lab. Mm. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I, I, together, I, huh? I, I, like, I like how you spit that, bro. Go ahead, though. <laughs> I love I love the I love the art. I don't know if I can be a creator of it, but I'm definitely a connoisseur. <laughs> um, so it's like no name is over here talking about him. Mm-hmm. Number one, who was on the front lines again? Weren't there videos of No Name and Ferguson? I forget. Remind me. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Yeah, I remember <clears throat> Jake Cole there, right? Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, again, my mind's getting a little fuzzy. Who made a uh, an entire album talking about uh, the lack of education, the school to prison pipeline, and black men? Was that No Name? I forget. You're right. 
you know, I, and I, wait, 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 wait. And who was on the streets of Raleigh, North Carolina, Fayetteville, North Carolina, these past couple weeks? No name. Yeah, didn't No Name delete some tweets? You know what I'm saying? Like once the uprising around George mm. Floyd popped off, didn't she have some tweets that she deleted? That kind of yeah, uh, she did. I think right. that, I think this all come from, and this is just my honest God opinion. No Name obviously has been growing in education, right? right? Probably someone of that persuasion came into her cipher. I don't even think she would have knew that song was even saying something or even thought. Don't even know. But I don't even think she right. would have thought that that song was saying something to her and until somebody came out and said, this song talking about you. Right. That's what the Twitter do. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? It, it causes drama all by itself sometimes. And right. so, a song co-opted she right it is a distraction yeah he was supposed to make a high track she participated in yeah he was supposed to that she was co-opted to participate in we got many of our people who would you call unconscious in their actions they do they doing stuff and they being maneuvered by other people he just tricked somebody put that out there that triggered emotion she responded to it she recognized that it was a bad response and it was a distraction because to be real right. with you they were supposed to be vibing off that song that my man did and then she was supposed to go drop another killer track with that hell of a beat that she had you know right. I could have got four minutes of that right so what do y'all think? What do y'all think about No Name at the end of the song saying that uh, she's the vanguard? That was what I was about to bring up. You've been in this political education work for one year. You started a book month about a year ago after getting dragged by the same people who are now defending you. Okay, fine, whatever. It meets once a month, not once a week like we do, one time per month, like Oprah. Hmm. And you are part of the vanguard. And and again, let me let me be clear. I appreciate her for her growth. She is putting in the work. And if we're being real, um, in terms of political education, she might be ahead of J. Cole. But the way she's communicating, it is holier than thou. You know. Hey, I got I got I got a quote for you. How we communicate. How we communicate is the lubrication of our politics. <laughs> okay. It's true. Okay. It's true. I mean, oh, that that was nice. Who is that? I, I don't know. I think that's me. That might be me. <laughs> that might oh, be right. me. I like okay. it. Oh, I like oh. it. That might be me. Uh, but it's true. We we have to we we have to be very conscious how we communicate with each other, or, or else what do we really mean by revolutionary love or revolutionary liberation? You know what I'm saying? The world we're trying to create. Are we trying to create a world that seems like a rat race where you're talking down to people below you or not trying to nurture right. them, you know, uh, to get to where you at? Like we, we had to see ourselves in every member of our community. Yeah. Right. And um, yes. we, we definitely do. We definitely do. You know, and this kind of uh, makes me think of uh, uh, another part of uh, No Name Song where she brings up Toyin. And that and there's a lot of uh, issues to talk about. And we definitely didn't get to them all on the last podcast. Mm-hmm. But the the issue of sexual assault within the black community True. is a serious topic. And um, I think the solution is, um, you know, uh, just like we kind of mentioned last week, still institutional like building in the black community yeah. to re- rehabilitate people, 
to uh, 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 to address in times of crisis, like mm-hmm. what Toyin was going through, where white cops will not, white cops will not. Yeah. And uh, edu- right. you know, our own educational institutions to raise children in a way where they don't behave this way, mm-hmm. uh, in a way that you know, white-led and white female-led educational institutions will never. You know what I'm saying? Like uh, institutions that hypersexualize our children yeah. and, uh, and, and that perpetuate our our children's hypersexualization, which right. which you know, uh, white folk will do in these institutions. These white institutions will do uh, ain't the way to go. Um, so and then just to touch on that, um, I don't think anyone in this conversation would deny that the lives of black trans people matter. Um, my issue is, and again, we have to uplift everyone. If someone feels unsupported by the black community, then we need to do more. My issue is, you know, putting these murders, which are unjust and wrong, in context, because as Kwame Ture says, when you analyze people without um, acknowledging their enemy, you end up blaming the people for their oppression. Right. Mm-hmm. And then touching as well on, you know, the issues of, quote unquote, black on black violence. Mm-hmm. Most of the black people who are uh, black trans people who are murdered are murdered within the black community. And so it is black on black violence. We have to talk about this context. Mm-hmm. It is so important. You know what I'm saying? So th- there's a di- there's a class disconnect in terms of uh, you know uh, you know certain gender theorists or certain uh, intersectional ma- like mainstream intersectional thinkers and activists who they believe should be centered and um, who the black community uh, kind of centers. Uh, uh, on his own, you know. That's I, the problem. Right. A hundred to a hundred to one can't be avoided. You know what I'm yeah. saying? A hundred to one can't be avoided. It, it go back to what we've been saying the whole show. It's the co-optation of black movement by foreign ideology that seeks to disunify mm-hmm. and confuse. Because white look, because white movement. white feminism and white liberal organizations are wed politically. And they they don't they they do not want to see um, a political movement emerge that 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 seeks to take at the root the black male gender depression that undergirds our murder by police. I mean, I'm saying that's a political program that uh, is inherently different than this one that is engaged in identity politics. I mean, and, and, and that's because of the colonial arrangement set by them. You know, what I'm saying not not any patriarchal interest we have for white patriarchal yeah. power to center ourselves as black men. This is the colonial violence of white society. And matter of fact, and it's I the colonial oh, patriarchy. Wait, my bad. It's the colonial patriarchy that centers us. Right. See, the United States um, started out as a colonial power through Britain. Came here. Right. They set up their system. They have a patriarchal system. Any patriarchal system, when they encounter the males of a foreign society, the males are the threat. We the threat. Right. right. And they seek to assimilate the women. And, and yeah. again, it's not exclusive to black men. Just look at Trump's, you know, yeah, uh, he campaign did any, speech. Yeah. They're sending rapists and murderers. He's clearly talking about racialized men, Mexicans. Yeah. And, and that's exactly how this country was colonized as well. You had the French, American, and whoever other colonists on this, in uh, Spanish colonists on this continent. And what were they saying? The, ma- the, the male indigenous people are savages. You know what I'm saying? And the women, they need our help. 
the French women that right. would come over here as colonists, that was part of the French women's and American and English women's role. They would help assimilate the indigenous women after the men were killed off through warfare and genocide. So I mean, and then tying that back to what's going on contemporarily, that was part of the argument for the war in Iraq that these women are oppressed. They have to wear hijabs, niqabs, whatever the case may be. When that is a class distinction, and women who are more privileged choose to wear that to distinguish themselves because they can afford to cover their entire body because they aren't working. Again, you know, uh, people project white supremacist gender onto other racialized groups, not realizing our, you know, respectively, uh, our gender relations are uh, different. So again, keeping it focused on African people, um, Queen Nzinga leading some of the most ferocious battles against slavery. Um, and then also slavery. You know, there's no gender really under slavery. We aren't even human beings. And then again, tying it back contemporarily, Michelle Obama hired and trained her husband, who became the president of the United States. John Kennedy ain't fucking with that. George Washington ain't fucking with that. So again, like, do you love black people or what? Because you don't know our history. Well, no. So I want to say for real, like part of it is a real pain and we have to address that. And then others are just idiots who are in search of power yeah. for themselves okay. and distancing themselves from the black community. Like I say, distractions. This, right. This, Co-optation. Distractions. To cause co-optation. Because I see a whole lot of funding for black people that will support anti-black misandrous ideas. The, the same ideas that lie at the core of all these black men getting killed. You know, there's a whole lot of ideas that got to be forwarded by a society that kills so many black men. Right. A, a right. white society that in, that that imperialistically colonial, you know, in a co colonial fashion, you know, commits genocide, uh, you know, through physical violence against black men to such a degree, the type of ideas and culture that must come out of a society to legitimize that, uh, you know, right. we, have, we have to look at that. And we ha and look, anybody that denies or seeks to ignore how black women make up half of uh, the black community that has ingested this socialization, you know what I'm saying, uh, and that we must deal with that, you know what I'm saying, like, Anybody that denies that is not not wanting to talk about the problem. So you know, there, so when we talk about uh, you know black women like No Name, you know having you know and critiquing their politics, uh, this is not a rejection of the idea that black women face gendered oppression in the black community and from external forces that's serious and that needs to be taken seriously. The issue of sexual right. assault is very serious, and uh, black women face uh, disproportionate amounts of sexual assault and various right. uh, types of sexual assault, and in various studies, that's clear. Um, mm -hmm. But we also got to get comfortable. Black women got to be pushed to be more comfortable. You know, if, if, if the reality is turning now, and even more black men compared to black women are being killed by the police, which we're seeing in recent years, the ratio is getting okay. more, more disproportionate, then people have to get more comfortable with public protests against police murder uh, to be uh, uh, to have a black male aesthetic. Mm -hmm. uh, right. We, I think uh, we, one more we, point. We, we, real quick, we have to get comfortable with that, and um, you know any pushback against that, you know, has to be challenged. Go ahead, Alex. Right. And I think one more point about uh, black men being uniquely patriarchal 
is interesting when you put these numbers of assaults for black women next to black men. So it is, of course, higher for black men, but it is also a uh, black woman, but it's also higher for black men. So if black men are more patriarchal because they do it more, does that mean black women are more patriarchal than white women? Like what what's the logic here? It's inconsistent when confronted by the numbers. And, and a lot of this logic, we got to call it out, too. It was kind of alluded to earlier, supports the notion that, um, you know, the that there's such a division in our in our community. I saw a post on Facebook that I had to respond to that said that black women are faced with three forms of oppression right now. That's COVID-19, uh, police brutality, and black men. Yeah, I saw that. And, um, you know, those type of hot takes, you know what I'm saying, is really just white feminism, imperial, colonial feminism, and gender theory in blackface. That's, that's the co-optation of the movement. Everybody gonna try to join in and get in, even though this all started over police murders, like the last one did. Mm-hmm. All of a sudden, it became something else. And, and those type of takes ignore what Alex was talking about—the bi-directionality of uh, domestic violence within our community. Um, you know, and and even the bi-directionality of sexual violence in our community. Mm-hmm. We go back to what we said before: we were colonized. As, as a people, we were brought here by a colonial power and enslaved. And the the country that we in is patriarchal. And thus right. we're the biggest target because of our sex. But see, they don't read any theories outside of uh, the mainstream theoretical work about how to explain this this racial oppression. They don't know about uh, Sedanus's work on the subordinate male h- hypothesis. That, that that has an alternative look at racism, understands racism in its colonial and imperialistic context, you know, away from the Western view, that mm-hmm. understands racism primarily as misandric violence. Right. So, I mean, look, you they have to read outside of the, the hegemonic paradigm of uh, this white colonial gender theory that aesthetically is very radical. I admit, right. I was enthralled when I got to UIUC. Hmm. with some of this gender theory so yeah i mean you have a whole lot of people that ain't even probably even read no criticisms you know some real criticisms of black feminism or intersectionality you know what i'm saying because those right. criticisms human tend to humanize black men they don't want to see that they don't want to read that no. you know what i'm saying like if you're going to engage uh you know black men or movements around the uh murder of black men you know uh as a black man i'm asking you to, you know, spend a little bit more time reading and humanizing us because I feel pretty dehumanized. You probably not. You probably won't care hmm. that me as a black man is saying I feel dehumanized because I'm a black man. You're socialized not to care about that. If, uh, if I could touch on one more thing, a bit of a shameless plug. Uh, so we talked about real infighting, just, you know, having to get stuff done between loving black men and loving black women and loving black, you know, gender non-conforming, same-gender loving people. We got to do that work. We got to talk about the people who are traitors, you know, who have no interest in seeing a more unified Black community who are actually Black. And we also have to talk about straight-up propaganda. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. So working on SOS, a series that I'm working on producing with a dear friend of mine, Jasmine Oliver, We came across this article, she came across this article shared by a YouTuber with over 100,000 followers. Hmm. 
saying that, you know, black men are the true enemy of black women. Mm-hmm. Stuff we've talked about um, already in this conversation. But what's different is that when I look at this article saying that KKK are more dangerous to black women than black men, things of that nature, there is no face to this article. The source that they give is fucking Larry Elder. Hmm. But on this article posted in 2020, they have no connection to social media, no Twitter handle, no Facebook, no email. So we also have to be aware of very real right-wing propaganda that people um, are able to put out and get traction in the black community with, number one, because, you know, people don't even necessarily read the article. Mm-hmm. Number two, they see this infighting. The, po- the most potent uh, form that the, uh, our oppressors' message can take. You know what I'm saying? Is through a mouth that's familiar to us. Co-opt them. They right. co-opt. To go back to what we said. They co-opt the movements that way. Right. Right. And that's the, and we brought up uh, Fanon earlier. That's how uh, you know co-optation in this new colonial age, this neo-colonial age, is operating. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the will of the people, the uh, the radical will of the people, is being co-opted. By these neo-colonial black African, you know, what I'm saying new African uh, agents, uh, unfortunately, and uh, you know those that adhere to their messages or those that corrupt, you know, uh, seemingly radical messages with these regressive type of ideas uncritically, you know, what I'm saying, and um, we have to make people more critical of this, you know, competitive victimhood and this co-optation, all that. Mm. So, uh, right. you know, let, let's, uh, Alex, stay with us just for a moment uh, before we sign off. Uh, uh, Aki, any type before of— Before we go, can I, read a, can I read the blurb for SOS real quick? Oh, okay. Did I interrupt you from that? Oh, yeah, go ahead. Go, go ahead. ahead. All right. Thank you very much. Mm-hmm. So I want to be clear, you know, we're grounded in the black community, a black nationalist framework, um, and we're reaching back to our ancestors. So this is all a play off of Amiri Baraka's poem. SOS, our community is in crisis. It is past time for our generation to finally unite and fulfill our duty of overcoming the challenges before us as a people. We issue now the internationally recognized distress signal to begin the long, hard work of saving ourselves. We are calling all black people, every man, woman, and child, repeat, We are calling all black people across the full range of class, education, ethnicity, gender, and sexuality. Come in. Let's raise up the legacies of our ancestors, wear the crowns they paid for, and ensure those are the ones that will come after us through strategic conversations for change. Calling all black people, come on in. And the next SOS call will be when? Remind the people one more time. This Thursday on Facebook at 7 o'clock. Okay. The Facebook page is SOS Saving Ourselves. Got you. All right. right. Sounds good. Uh, well, we appreciate you, Brother Alex. Real quick, Aki, any uh, last summarizing statements, you know what I'm saying, just to bring home this conversation we had on uh, Juneteenth, uh, you know, co-optation, and now talking about, um, you know, this some of the gender politics and hip-hop in the black community right now. All of it go back to co-optation. All of those are, are are little small little things that the system and the enemy uses to distract us 
And when he distracts us and get us off pull, uh, off our P's and Q's and off our focus, that's called co-optation. Mm-hmm. That means he can yes, direct sir. the movement in any way he wants to go to. Mm-hmm. So in everything that we do out here, whether it's organizing in these streets, whether it's organizing um, um, politically, whether it's um, doing music or whatever, or, and, and you have music with a message, they're always going to try to go little things in there to distract people from either hearing that music or going to that protest or or getting involved with that political movement. Uh-huh. Because they got us so socialized sometimes now that uh, we, we participate in our own destruction sometimes. And we, we participate in our community. We, we participate in our community's confusion, you know what I'm saying, through internalizing these messages, you know what I'm saying? And uh, the oppressor be planting ticking time bombs on us. There you go. You know what I'm saying? That, that, it's triggers. Right. Little things that's there, and they they triggers, and then we jump on them because they know right. we've been doing this for a long time. Right. So even in some of our best civilized movements, and some of our best movements out here, that they could throw a little small tactic in there, like somebody he say, she says it. Mm-hmm. And next thing you know, you got the New York and the, and the Oakland Panthers situation. Right. You know, it could have been solved by a phone call. As Prince said, there is a war going on. The battlefield is in the mind and the prize is the soul, man. There you go. I think Mm -hmm. that's the, you know, we we good on that, Alex. We appreciate you uh, having you on for this episode. Yes, sir. uh, I enjoy being on. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Let's go on and sign off then. You know, I think we had a good convo. Let's go, uh, you know, give them our call, man. Free the land. Free the land. Free the land. Peace. Peace.